What's up, guys? Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. If you're still listening to this podcast, if you're listening to volume four of Coffee and Questions, it means that I've done something right, or it means that I haven't pissed off enough people to get me pulled from this podcast. Guys, if you're not familiar with the format of Coffee and Questions, it's very simple. I answer your questions. It's like you're in this podcast studio with me. And as I answer your questions, I drink a lot of coffee. And you might find that as I proceed to answer your questions, they start off nice and easy and I kind of talk very slow and I've got a measured pace. But as I get pretty damn caffeinated, you'll find out that I just keep talking really fast. And let's face it, I'm from New England. So we tend to talk a little bit faster than our, our good buddies down in the South, you know, below the Mason Dixon line. So I've got a whole bunch of questions that I've received from you. And something that came up was some people didn't want their names mentioned on the air. So when the question comes up, I'll simply say this is anonymous. But uh, if you guys have a question for me and you want to hear your Instagram handle shouted out online, just every Wednesday when I put up, do you guys have any questions for me? I will save some of your questions for this podcast and other questions I will answer right there on Instagram. Uh, I hope you guys are going to pull up a cup of coffee with me. If you're driving, <laughs> uh, be forewarned. My humor is pretty terrible, but every once in a while I'll catch you off guard and you might spit up your coffee because I'm just going to speak my mind. So, uh, let's get right down to it today. We've got, damn, we got a lot of questions that came in last week and they came in all pretty, pretty quickly at the, the very end of that 24 hour period. So I've got 32 questions. Coffee of choice today is uh, gunship, by the way. All right, here we go. Question number one. This comes from Rick underscore Stowe. Any details on that sleeping Indian wool vest you've worn in some recent posts? All right, guys, uh, as a magazine writer for many years, I worked with a lot of different companies and I've worked with different clothing companies. I've been sponsored this and that. Well, I finally threw my hat in the ring and I said, I want something that I designed and I want it to be like a signature piece. So I've been working with Sleeping Indian Apparel for a while. They make really cool wool jackets and pants and whatnot. They've actually got a, a military um, OD green set. They call it like their military suit. And I was like, you know what? I like having a wool shirt, but sometimes that wool shirt isn't really the most practical for a layer. Like sometimes I just want to keep my core warm, but I want to be able to move my arms. Like if I'm paddling, right. Or if I'm hiking and I've got trekking poles. And I said, I like your vest. I just want more carrying capacity. Like I would love to have a zipper panel on the back that I could, um, you know, put a, a signal panel in or a map inside of a Ziploc bag. And I wish I had extra pockets here for this, that, and the other thing. So they took my advice and they made a survival vest. Um, I don't know any of the details in terms of how many are going to be produced, but I'll simply say it's going to be awesome. It's going to be OD green and it's going to be super practical. It's not going to look like the 1980s or 1990s, uh, tactical vest that, you know, was all the, all the craze and the, and the rave back then it's going to look like a woodsman's vest with a little bit of flair. Right. Um, so that's all I got for you now. I'm the world's worst salesman. I'm a better instructor. So I'll just leave it at that. All right. Horizon Hunter 76 says, any good do-it-yourself recipes for pre-made fire starters or tinder like soaked cotton rounds? 
easiest, easiest way of making a homemade fire starter is Vaseline and 100% cotton balls. Uh, you can use dryer lint, but make sure that your dryer lint is not filled with synthetics or else it's going to melt. It won't burn. And there are other things that you can use at home with Vaseline other than Vaseline and cotton, because I mean, some people don't like Vaseline and cotton because it's greasy. And when you put it together, your hands get that film on it. Um, you know, the film that every prepubescent boy is familiar with. So, uh, I will tell you that you can take a whole bunch of Vaseline, throw it in a Ziploc bag, take a whole bunch of cotton balls, throw it in a Ziploc bag, put it inside your shirt, right? Go out for a run, do something as your body heat warms up, it'll move that Vaseline through the cotton balls. And then you don't have to worry about, you know, individually, uh, applying the Vaseline to all your cotton balls. That stuff will, will work pretty well for a while. Um, you can also use wax and sawdust as a fire starter. You can also use wax and shredded paper. So if you've got sensitive documents and a paper shredder, because you're smart, uh, you should definitely take those sensitive documents, mix it with wax, paraffin wax. You can get at a grocery store or, uh, just your residual scented candles that you've got kicking around your house for, for romance. And, uh, you can make a pretty good fire starter with those. All right. Next question. This one comes from Brian Joachim. Glass lens as a fire starter or signal. I listened to your podcast 267, but you don't remember. I don't remember you talking about this. I don't remember if I talked about that either, quite honestly. Um, a Fresnel lens is not a bad way to make a fire in the summertime. Think about this one. It's not the most ideal. And I was never a military guy, right? I was never someone that served in the armed forces, but I do know that if you are going to strike first, you're going to use your most uh, effective tool first. If you have a rifle, you wouldn't use your pistol. If you have a tank, you're not going to use a rifle. Um, well, maybe you would, I don't know. Again, I'm not a military guy, but I also know that if I have to defend myself and I have the choice of using a modern auto loading pistol or a flintlock pistol, I'm probably going to go with the modern auto loading pistol because it's the better technology. It's stronger technology. It's more likely to work. The Fresnel lens will work in the same way that that flintlock pistol will work. It just won't work as well as a Bic lighter or a ferro rod. Uh, the same thing goes for traditional flint and steel. It produces an inferior spark to the ferro rod. So if you're being told you must use flint and steel first, you're being taught by a charlatan because they don't have your best interest in mind. I will always tell people go to flame first. If you have the option of using a lighter or windproof waterproof matches that are storm matches, go ahead and use that because you might need to go to flame first. If your life is on the line, I don't care if you use a goddamn road flare. Um, but I'm never going to tell you just for style points to use an inferior tool. Don't get me wrong. It would be a hell of a lot of fun to pull a flintlock pistol on someone, right? Uh, you know, stop a home invasion with a musket. Uh, but I would rather, rather use a tool that is more effective. All right. Alberto.ry. Can you do a video showing what you would carry in an IFAC camping or traveling? I'm not going to do a video, but I'll respond to that question here in this podcast. Usually with a camping or a travel first aid kit, I want to make sure that I have my meds in order first. You only need a handful of pills. You need something for diarrhea. Traveling, you are going to probably encounter different foods and potentially water contamination that will make you explode from both ends. 
you want to make sure that you can curb that diarrhea quickly. So Imodium, all right, upset stomach diarrhea, carry Imodium. Another thing that you want is an anti-allergen Claritin, right? Is a, is a great one. It's over the counter because when you're traveling, you never know if you're going to have an allergic reaction. I was down in Grenada in 2015. I accidentally rubbed my eye after touching some vegetation. And just like Will Smith looked like this bloated dude and, you know, from his allergic reaction in the movie Hitch, I looked like that in person after touching my, my eye in Grenada. So carry an anti-allergen because you never know if that's going to come up. You also need something for pain, whether that's ibuprofen or uh, Tylenol, um, that's over the counter. If you have an old prescription for an antibiotic, I would recommend carrying that prescription with you and carry that antibiotic because if it worked in the past, it might work in the future. And if you are really feeling sick, maybe it's a good idea to ingest some antibiotics. Uh, you might want to call your doctor be like, Hey, I'm on vacation. Should I take this? So I get my pills in order first. The other things that I recommend for travel, think about what's most likely to happen. You're probably walking through the airport a lot. You're probably wearing uncomfortable shoes here or there everywhere out to dinners with friends or whatever. Um, you know, maybe you're going on a hiking trip and you might want to think about blisters. So moleskin, not a bad thing to have in your first aid kit. Um, burn medication. So uh, second skin, or if you have a prescription for it, get yourself, uh, God, I'm trying to think of the name of the, the prescription, uh, Sylvanine. Get some Sylvanine cream from your doctor because it will work wonders on sunburns and burns that you're going to experience around the campfire if you're camping. Um, other stuff, I mean, you can get your assortment of bandages. You can get your assortment of gauze and stuff like that. Um, I don't go too crazy with my travel kit. I carry you know, a few other things like tweezers and I carry um, some eye drops, but uh, I don't go too crazy with, with my travel uh, IFAC. All right, here we go. By the way, if you're wondering what all that paper is, I have all of your questions printed out. I'm like a type A dude. So I, I tend to write down your questions or type them out. And I've even got them categorized like, you know, mobility, survival, uh, craziness, knives, stuff like that. All right. Will underscore RR. Uh, I believe Will is someone who has sent in multiple questions in the past. Let's get to this one. Thoughts on neck knives as defensive blades. Not a big fan. Neck knives, everyone imagines wearing a neck knife where it's worn to the outside of your clothing and it's worn about the level that is in line with your sternum. Well, that's very convenient for bushcraft, for survival. Uh, it's very convenient when you're in your hammock and you don't want to like reach underneath you to say like your four o'clock position where you normally would carry like a belt knife. So neck knives are convenient. And I'd say that there's a threshold for neck knives in terms of how much weight the average person wants to have dangling from their neck. For me, it's right around four ounces. If I start going over four ounces, then I'm like, this isn't really a neck knife. It's a belt knife trying to be a neck knife. And I don't like it around my neck. Um, for defensive purposes, let's think about what makes a good defensive blade. Let's start off with one of the most basic. Can you access it? Now, defensive blades, right? If we're talking about using a knife for self-defense, number one, how quickly can you get to it? Uh, what layers of concealment do you need to defeat in order to get to your defensive blade? If you're carrying your blade, other strong side, or if you're carrying it pocket carry the way that I carry my, my Amtac uh, Minuteman, it's in a consistent spot every single time. Um, I know 
I can access that with a simple garment clear, or I can even have my hand indexed on that blade uh, right away. A neck knife, by virtue of the way it's designed, it's swinging, it's a pendulum around your neck, and it probably is not going to be in the same draw point every single time. Uh, also, that neck knife could be overclothing or underclothing, right? It you have a 50-50 shot of finding it. And on top of that one, um, depending on how you have your lanyard configured, your neck knife could become a liability to you. So I'm not a fan of neck knives. I don't care what the design is. I don't care uh, you know, what material it's made out of. Just for the simple fact that it doesn't offer consistency, uh, that's something that turns me off. Because when the pressure's on, when you stress test one of these tactics of using something that you're gonna draw from, it's not the easiest thing in the world to grab. Now, I will say this. If you are planning on carrying a neck knife for defense, like if you don't care what I have to say, but you're still listening, some people wear their neck knife where the handle of the neck knife is in line with the bottom hem of their shirt. That way you don't have to access underneath your shirt very far. And it's a very, very quick draw to bring your knife into action. So just think about that one. Cameron, Cameron's outside. Cameron's tea outside. Any advice for someone going on their first canoe trip in the Boundary Waters this spring? Full disclosure, I haven't been to the Boundary Waters, but I will say that I spent many years as a canoeing and kayaking guide and instructor. I've spent a lot of time in the backcountry in a canoe up in the Adirondacks and all over. So I can't tell you what to expect in the Boundary Waters other than extreme jealousy for me from afar. But I will tell you that you should plan for mosquitoes, all right? You should definitely be aware that mosquitoes can be very thick up there. And I will also tell you that you should learn to make some type of bread. Canoe camping and bread making, like a simple bannock, like a drip bread, drop bread, amazing. Uh, learn to make bannock. You will be able to carry dry ingredients with you that you can alter the flavor with just a few uh, additives. And the wet ingredient is what you're paddling on. Um, another thing... I would definitely recommend be prepared for uh, opportunities like fishing. So I would recommend that you bring a fishing rod. If you're not into fishing, learn how to fish. You're going to see fish rising and you're going to want to fish. Um, and by the way, the combination of good bannock mix and fresh fish, you can do a crazy good fish fry. So uh, I would say those are some things that I would say to be prepared for. Um, I would also recommend that you look at what you can cut weight from your kit um, or how different ways that you can cut weight from your kit. Instead of always packing in heavy duty like PVC covered dry bags, look at Ziploc bags. Try to figure out what you can carry and what you can get away with that's already water resistant that doesn't need a waterproof bag. Look for all the different options to cut weight because if you do have to do a carry or a portage, you're going to find that uh, you're going to be thankful that you cut all that weight. All right. Uh, this next one is an anonymous question. Actually, the next couple are anonymous. What's your blade carry philosophy and how do you conceal them? My blade carry philosophy comes directly from Sayak Kali. Um, if, I've taken a lot of this stuff off offline because um, I don't necessarily want people, you know, constantly asking me about this, that, and the other thing. Um, plus, you know, my online, I never really post up the videos of me doing stuff, but if you guys know me and if you've been in training courses with me, you know that I'll, I'll definitely put my money where my mouth is. Um, my personal blade carry philosophy is all the time, right? All blade all the time and all blade all the time in SIOC means 
not only that you carry a blade because it's smart uh, and it's sound, but realize that any fight at any time could become a blade fight. I've heard people say like, oh, it's a gunfight. Oh, it's a fist fight. I hate that. I will simply say it's simply a fight because I don't want to be lured into, oh, it's a fist fight. Oh, suddenly someone pulled a knife. Well, did you think that people are only going to fist fight? Did you think that someone was never going to bite you? Did you think that it was never going to go to the ground? So my personal blade carry philosophy is I always want to have a stout fixed blade on me because there is no better deterrent to a weapons grab than drawing another blade. Um, spent a lot of time training in Saya Kali, and I will tell you that I, I, it is what made me who I am today in addition to the training from my father and from my, my late mentor, Marty. So uh, what's my personal blade carry philosophy? Carry one all the time. How do I conceal it? Um, depending on where I am, I may not be able to conceal my blade. So I will wear it uh, in a manner that some of it is open. Um, so if I'm pocket carrying, I've got the handle exposed. Uh, when I'm out doing the outdoor survival stuff, the bushcraft stuff, I still will carry a defensive blade, but I also will have my other uh, utility blades on me. Again, around four o'clock in a deep concealment pouch, uh, deep carry pouch. Okay. Um, this one comes from BP Tactical. These are all, oh, these are my buddies. Um, guys, I'm a big fan of BP Tactical. Uh, they make great chest rigs for, for carrying my Glock. All right. Um, what items do you keep in your car that enhance your capability? So in my car, I've got a boss strong box. My boss strong box is there to keep all my valuable stuff locked up. Got a lot of bushcraft stuff in there, axes, saws. I have a machete in there. Um, directly behind my driver's seat, I have a front runner outfitters box that is filled with food. I want to make sure that if my car breaks down, I'm well fed, I've got water, and I've got a means to, to make food. So I just carry a mountain house in there. And depending on the time of year, I have a assortment of clothing with me to help me walk my way out of, out of a problem, right? So I have good clothing in my car. So those are some of the items. Next one, anonymous. Uh, what is the best supplement you use every day? Centrum, multivitamin for dudes, and uh, athletic greens. Sam Cho, my good buddy, Sam Cho actually was just out for, for dinner with Sam Cho last night and the, the dudes from black rifle coffee, even with snow tires, should you still carry chains? Um, I do not carry chains on my vehicle. Um, I try to avoid the roads when it's really, really bad out. Um, some people have dedicated studded tires here in Utah. Um, I haven't made the jump for that. If you know how to apply your chains, I would say, and, and by the way, if you can do, put them on efficiently, carry them because chains are a game changer. All right, I'm gonna move through some of these because uh, I don't wanna take up too much time and I wanna get through all 32 of them. Next one is anonymous. Uh, what characteristics do you look for in a holster for everyday and outdoor use? Okay, uh, with a holster, I prefer Kydex over leather. Um, I prefer having a sweat guard. I prefer having the ability to uh, run that holster inside the waistband. So, I mean, here at Fieldcraft, we've got a Tenacore holster that's uh, appendix inside the waistband. I tend to wear that one. Um, but if I'm out in the, the great outdoors and I've got a lot of layers on me, I want that gun high up on my chest. So that's why I wear the, the Black Point Tactical uh, chest harness. 
So that's it. All right. Uh, let's see. Black Sheep 302. By the way, guys, check out that account, Black Sheep 302 on Instagram. He does a lot of really cool flat lays with like Rhodesian gear and cool stuff. So uh, check him out. How easy is it to overpack and overprepare for a camping trip or a trek? It's very easy if you carry too large of a backpack. Um, one of the things that used to be said back in the day was if you really want to kind of pare down your gear to what you need and what you don't need, have two cardboard boxes at home for taking your gear out of your bag. And you have one box that you put gear in that you use, and you have another box that you put gear in that you didn't use. This is a pretty good way of doing it, except you're not always going to use your tourniquet. So if you keep throwing the tourniquet into the box, oh, I never use this. I'll never need it. Well, that's a terrible mindset. Um, you can realize what you can get away with, with overpacking. Um, simple camp shovel, right? How frequently do you need to dig serious, serious foxholes, right? Um, quite honestly, like most of the time, if you're carrying a shovel, it's to dig a, a cat hole so you can crap in it. I don't need a full size entrenching tool. Uh, many times I'll just make a digging stick with my hatchet, um, or I'll carry a small trowel. So it's very easy to pack too much. If you carry a big backpack, because you say to yourself, Oh, I can carry this. Why don't I? Well, I like the idea of having a backpack that allows me to expand the volume. If I need to pick something else up while I'm out in the field, uh, or if I need to do like a hasty stash, like a quick pack and go. Um, I don't like the idea of packing to capacity where the zippers are almost failing because there's too much stuff in it. That's how easy it is to, to overpack. Mike O'Brien, favorite knife to carry backpacking and favorite to carry for hunting. Well, for backpacking, um, I mean, my signature knife is the Gossman Knives Polaris. Excuse me, burping up Black Rifle Coffee here. I know it's super sexy. <clears throat> um, I carry that knife all the time. That's my signature knife. I designed it for a reason. It fits my hand. It's everything I need it to be. And I'll carry that knife both hunting and backpacking. But, but um, there are times where I want to go super light and fast. And if that's the case, then I'll look at like the Falneven F1. It's a great Swedish knife. That's actually the old Swedish Air Force official pilot's knife. So I'll carry that. And hunting knife, Montana Knife Company. Uh, Montana Knife Company Speed Goat or um, you know one of their other blades, which I don't even want to talk about, but let's just say that there's something new coming. Um, that might be my favorite hunting knife. All right, Sam Cho again. <laughs> um, if you can do one upgrade on your Toyota, what would it be? Well, this is assuming that I have the ability to do additional stuff to what I've already done. So I've got a low profile bumper with a winch. I've got the rigged tire carrier in the back. I guess if I had to do one upgrade on my, my forerunner right now, I might do like a slight, slight lift to the body. Um, but probably not that much. Um, or maybe what I would do is I'd probably just get a rooftop tent. Um, you know, camp in with the misses. Yeah. Uh, rooftop tent, I think would be the way to go. Keeps everyone happy. Plus your campground is anywhere you can park your vehicle. Oh yeah. Good coffee. Oh, speaking of Scott Gossman, uh, who are your top three mentors and why them in my book, 101 skills you need to survive in the woods. Uh, they're dedicated. So number one, my dad, 
And I don't know if a dad can technically be a mentor. I mean, dads are inherently mentors, I guess. If you think about it that way, you spend a lot of time with your dad, you're going to learn the most from him. Um, and maybe if I define mentor as someone who's not related to you, then I can give you two answers. I don't have three, but my dad's definitely a huge influence in my life. Um, I mean, my dad taught me so much about his time in the jungles of the Philippines during World War II, and he still inspires me to this day. Uh, second mentor, Marty Simon. Marty Simon was my boss at the Wilderness Learning Center. He and his wife invited me in like I was a son. Um, I loved working for Marty and Aggie. I worked from them or worked with them from 2007 to 2012, uh, teaching week-long survival courses up in the U.S.-Canada border. And Marty really took my survival game to more of, I'd say, like a, a tactical side, if that's even possible, because Marty's background was you know, as a combat veteran from Vietnam. And he and I shared a lot of interesting conversations around campfires. He taught me to be a leather worker. Uh, he taught me so much about edible and medicinal plants. I'll never forget the lessons Marty taught me. Third mentor is Chris Syok, uh, Pamana Tuhan, Chris Syok, because through the Syok training, I've definitely learned how to think, not what to think. And he has constantly, uh, the late Chris Syok, constantly challenged me, and I'm still challenged every single day to kill my clone. And uh, I'd highly recommend you guys look up that concept of killing your clone. It's something that I believe in. Okay, next one comes from my buddy Jerry Young. Uh, Jerry's one of our instructors. He's over in the Northeast. If you guys are taking any of the medical courses in the Northeast, Jerry's probably your instructor. Top three guns, no budget. Top three guns on a budget. Type, action, and caliber. Oh my God, this is impossible to answer. Um, I think I would do something belt fed for one of them for top three guns, no budget. Crazy thing in Connecticut, we could have suppressors. We could have a fully automatic machine gun with a class three license. We were not allowed to have any firearms with a selector switch. So belt fed, uh, 200 round belt, totally fine. By the way, we also couldn't have standard capacity magazines for AR-15s after Sandy Hook. So 30-round magazine, there's a problem. Belt-fed 200-round link, no problem. Um, I would say probably an M60. I would love that gun just because I'm a Rambo nerd. Um, other guns. I mean, maybe I'd get a Staccato. I haven't bought one of those yet. I probably will at some point. Uh, I know my buddy Kyle DeFord loves his. And I don't know, maybe I'd do something bougie, like some nice over-under shotgun that costs way too much and I'd be afraid to get perspiration on it. Um, top three guns on a budget, Glock 19, get yourself a Glock 19, swap out the iron sights, call it a day, get yourself a Remington 870 uh, or a Ruger 1022, probably err on the side of getting the 1022 because you, know, you can shoot 22s forever. Um, and if I had to say one more, it all depends. I mean, if you're worried about self-defense, I'd say Glock 19, shotgun, AR-15. If you're thinking about hunting, you can do the old Bradford Angiers three gun, which was 22, 12-gauge, 30-odd six. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one, Jer. Let's talk about that one with a little bit of booze in us and come up with some interesting answers. Okay. Uh, Fonzie Haskell. Fonzie was our, our guide over in uh, Wyoming at Four Horse Outfitters. Good dude. Great outfit over there. Please check him out, Four Horse Outfitters. He says, do you have any hunting trips planned for 2022? And if so, what are they? Yes, I do. I'm going to be going with, uh, uh, I can't talk, Buffalo Wool Company at some point, either doing a crane or a hog hunt with them. Um, I would love to do an antelope hunt, maybe with you guys, because I remember when I was out there, I saw so many antelope. Um, 
And I still want to do a hunt with the Price Brothers in Pennsylvania. I just got to get the time given to me. So if you guys want to see me go after some awesome bear in Pennsylvania with the best bear hunters around, the Price Brothers, then you guys should DM Mike and tell him, hey, send Kevin to Pennsylvania. I'll do that. All right, next up, Drew Dang. Uh, with all the options out there to be well-rounded, it's like needing to eat an elephant all at once. Would you start with Sayak, BJJ, or something else? I tell people to look at multiple systems and become as well-rounded as possible. You need a striking art. You really uh, are well-suited uh, if you get a good foundation in Western boxing or Muay Thai. I would definitely say grappling, whether you're doing like combat submission grappling or uh, BJJ. You need a weapons uh, form to a weapon system. And that's where Sayak excels, right? I mean, in Sayak, we've got pistol drills, we have flexible weapon drills and all that. So I would say you need three things, striking grappling weapons. All right. Army Mace. Jared is, uh, goes by Army Mace on Instagram. He's a great instructor. He's up in Washington state. Hopefully we're going to do some more stuff with him. Weight of equipment versus capacity and capabilities. Well, weight is definitely something you have to think about, especially out here in Utah. We're regularly above 6,000 feet elevation. Ounces are pounds and pounds are pain. So you got to look at like how much does something weigh and what are you getting from it? Um, I love cooking with cast iron in my kitchen, but I'm not going to carry cast iron backpacking. So I'm going to carry titanium. Um, but titanium can burn food very easily because it transfers heat super fast. It also loses heat very quickly. So you got to factor in weight. You also have to factor in capability. Um, you got to factor in is what I'm carrying something that's easily, easily packed too. So I'll just simply say that weight is definitely a, a major consideration. All right, guys, we're coming up on 30 minutes in this podcast. I still have like 10 more questions. Here we go. Man of Grit says, are single wall stainless steel canteens okay? Would just save more space than a mill style. I don't understand this question necessarily, but I want to address it here. Uh, would just save me more space than a mill style. Well, single wall stainless canteens, they are like, if you're talking like a kidney bean shape, those are like military styles, unless you're, you're talking like a round canteen, like the French used to carry. Um, by the way, the French used to have daily wine rations in their kit and they would carry a Boda bag. Look that up. It's actually kind of, kind of funny. Um, yeah, I would say stainless steel canteens are fine. Just make sure it's not a double wall. If you put a double wall cup or canteen into a fire, you're building a bomb. So single wall stainless steel, avoid aluminum unless you want to get Alzheimer's uh, or get titanium, uh, like the one I use, which is from heavy cover. All right. Next one is anonymous. Uh, what is the purpose of studying bushcraft and survival skills? It's to learn about yourself. Uh, you know, when I was a teacher, I had students that would always say, oh, this is hard work. Oh, it's hard. And I would look them straight in the face, deadpan and deliver this sentence. I would say, no, it is not. And they would look at me and they'd feel all, all whatever, un uneasy. And they'd be like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, what you're doing is not hard. You're sitting inside of a temperature controlled room doing homework that other people have done before you. I said, realize that we've put a man on the moon. What you're doing is not rocket science or as Austin Lessard would say, rocket surgery. Guys, the purpose of studying bushcraft and survival skills is to learn so much about yourself, how resilient you are, how resourceful you are, how much you can handle, how you can use tools that ex or resources that exist on the land and what you can make 
from those resources with just a few tools. So what's the purpose? To become a more capable you. By the way, that concept of becoming more capable is coming out this year as I tour Black Rifle Coffee stores throughout the country. So if you guys get a chance to come and see me when I'm talking at Black Rifle Coffee, please come up and say hi, shake my hand. Don't worry. You're not going to give me Rona. I probably have had it already. Maybe I'll give it to you. Are we even really worried about Rona anymore? So uh, what's the purpose? Become more capable. Next question comes from I-A-N-E Snow. Is it E-N-E Snow? Balancing all the skill and hobbies. Focus on one for an extended time or chunk learn. If possible, try to bring in your hobbies together at the same time so you don't feel like you're setting up just for one at a time. Uh, As mentioned earlier with canoe camping, I like canoeing, I like camping, I like fishing. If I can go out and catch my dinner and camp and, you know, cook, uh, you know, fish fry, I'm going to do that. Uh, I like shooting. You know what I like even better than shooting? I like hunting. Um, I might find as I'm hunting, if I'm setting up in, in a blind, like if this is like in the Northeast and I'm building my own blind, then I might break out the tools ahead of time, set up my blinds, do a little bushcraft. So I think one of the ways of balancing all these hobbies is finding ways of doing them together because there have been plenty of times where I've been canoeing down a river and I'm like, I wish I had my fishing pole. And also there have been plenty of times where I was fishing where I was like, damn, if I just had a canoe, I could get out to where the fish are biting. Kate made whole herbs. Kate is our plant instructor on the East Coast with Kevin Owens in Fieldcraft, North Carolina. What five essentials should be in everyone's wilderness medical kit? Instead of going to specifics, let's talk about some of the basic needs, five basic needs. Burns. Wilderness scenarios, you're probably building fires. You will probably at some point burn your hand. Pouring hot water, reaching for something in the fire, you're going to burn your hand. Carry burn stuff. Second thing, uh, you're probably going to cut yourself. You definitely want to have bandages. Uh, Not a bad idea to carry different types of bandages. So I'd say burns, bandages. Third thing, those pills that I mentioned before, something for pain, something for allergies, something for, um, for upset stomach, something to defeat some, some viruses, right? Fourth thing, fourth major thing in the great outdoors, um, I would definitely consider comfort items, right? So what I mean by that is you're more comfortable when you're hydrated. I would carry, uh, hydration mixes, right? Things that you can ingest on a daily basis that will keep you from being constipated, keep you regular, uh, take care of your hydration. All right. Fifth thing that you might want to have in your wilderness medical kit, think about treating others, right? We have this idea of IFACs, individual first aid kits, right? What I have on me is what someone is going to, uh, use on me if I'm unconscious, Well, at some point you're going to be the group leader. So think about who you're going to be helping and what you can pull from your kit in an emergency, right? So splinters, you're probably going to want tweezers. Um, Not a bad idea to carry things for, um, you know, other contingencies that that might happen in, in the great outdoors, right? So splinters, they happen, thorns, they happen, rashes happen, um, you know, you're probably going to come encounter with poison ivy, oak, or shumac. So you might want to carry something like, uh, God, what is that stuff called? It's, uh, it's like a wash away 
stuff that you put on your skin. I'll, I'll think of it at some point in this podcast. And I guarantee you're going to be like, man, this guy's brain is everywhere, but uh, it's uh it's like a wash away stuff for, for poison Ivy. I'll, I'll think of it. I'll, I'll get back to that one. Okay. Next one is anonymous. Uh, how do you secure your gear and keep it organized in your forerunner? I swear to God, I, this has to be Sam Cho, but it's not. <laughs> um, so I already mentioned I have the boss strong box. I love that damn thing. It is solid. It's not going anywhere. Um, I've also got Cali raised led Molly panels for the back windows, which provide a little bit more security for like a smash and grab, but it also gives me a place to mount things in the back of my foreigner. Uh, so I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, having stuff like all over the place, you know, in the back of the car. So uh, I've got that. And then I've got a bunch of the field craft, uh, loadout bags. And I've got the big one that holds my cold weather stuff. I've got the middle one that holds like my range stuff. Um, so that's how I do it. Those few things. RJ sweat Magai, Thundercats or He-Man. If you guys know the memes with Skeletor, I am only saying Thundercats. I'm sorry. I'm only saying He-Man for that reason. Um, Thundercats are cool. I still want to see the, the live action version of that in the theaters. Some of your favorite boots for hiking rough terrain that are just plain brown. Some comes from Jason Littleton, 377. Uh, Garmont makes my desert boots. Um, I'm a big fan of Garmont. I think they've got um, some of the best stuff out there. Uh, I like their desert boots, but my hiking boots are from Loa. Um, those are tan. Both of these boots are, are tan, by the way. And if we're talking about uh, my heavy backpacking boots, it's the Summit Light, and those are from Danner. So I, I don't know if that helps. Um, I've heard the brown ones are definitely more comfortable. Okay. Uh, top three fire setting methods. Again, anonymous. First is fire uh, by flame first. And what I mean by that is I want to be able to start a fire with a flame as opposed to a spark to a piece of tinder. I want to go straight to flame. So uh, what I'm going to say for that one is the Exotac fire sleeve. Uh, Exotac they're good friends of ours. I'm good friends with Exotac. I've hung out plenty of times with the owner, Rob, uh, on camping trips. He's a solid dude, good American dude. Um, shameless plug. If you guys want, I think it's 10 or 20% off of your order. Just use my last name as a discount code. Use a Stella. You'll get a discount. So that's a shameless plug for this podcast. Um, but Exotac is awesome. So I'm going to say go with a Bic lighter inside of a fire sleeve first. Second, I'm going to say you probably want a good ferro rod. And there's a lot of good companies that make good ferro rods. Um, Exotac, again, you also have Solcoa. They make a great fire rod, uh, fire seal. Uh, you might want to also look at Light My Fire. I mean, they're, they've been around a very, very long time and they've got a great reputation. I've been using their stuff for, for a, a, quite some time. Uh, final method of lighting a fire, wooden match. Uh, I spent a lot of time as a kid playing with strike anywhere matches, screwing with them, lighting them off of my zipper, lighting them off of my teeth, off of my thumbnail. I like strike anywhere matches just for fun. Um, but if shit hits the fan, I want my windproof waterproof matches. And those are from Yuko UCO. Okay. Two questions left guys. Coffee break. Hold on. Oh Yeah. Uh, this one comes from Bree from Montana Great Outdoors. 
Guys, Bree is uh, really cool. Uh, she's a mother of three. She does a lot of solo hunts. She's come to Fieldcraft. She's taught at Fieldcraft before for our ladies. Uh, she's awesome. Her question is, what pulley system would you recommend to a small female for maneuvering an elk alone? Well, Bree, you can rig up a lot of makeshift pulleys with a couple climbing parts and get different pull ratios from those. So I'd look at the equipment from Petzl and then look at the corresponding cordage that will work with those pulleys. I would also recommend uh, with your pulley system, you devise some way of creating a break. And what I mean by a break is a way of tying it off once you get your your elk lifted. Now, if you're humping this into the backcountry, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, if you have an overland vehicle, there's no shame in using your winch on your vehicle to lift that elk. Um, you know, what starts getting heavy and bulky is the gambrel. So I'd look at some of the stuff that's available from the climbers and, uh, you know, apply those. All right, guys, uh, just a reminder, um, if you have any questions you want to ask every single week on my Instagram, my Instagram is at Estella wild ed E S T E L A W I L D E D. That was short for my old company. Um, at Estella wild ed, I will answer your questions. Um, I'm happy to do that. I enjoy doing this. As I mentioned before, it's like I have 30 something of you, um, all in the same room here for this podcast. So, uh, please, you know, come on in and ask me some questions. By the way, uh, Zanfel, <laughs> Z-A-N-F-E-L is a great thing for your uh, camping kit. That's that wash away poison ivy stuff. I don't know why that just came to my mind. Uh, Zanfel, so check them out. It's got like a like a sand consistency. It's an, it's an abrasive, like a pumice, and you put it on your skin, you rub it in, and then you wash it off, and it really does take away a lot of the itch relief. Uh, I love that stuff. All right, here we go. Final question. I hope you're ready for this one. Uh, background. What do you do outside of the survival and bushcraft life? Okay. Uh, what do I do? Well, I mean, my background is as a history teacher. I spent 14 years doing that. So I'm still very much a, a historian. I enjoy reading different types of history, except now, as opposed to teaching the history that's required by the board of ed, I get to pursue history that I find interesting. When I was in grad school, I wrote about the history of the 1911 and how it was used during the Philippine insurrection to defeat the Moros. So I get to do stuff like that now through Fieldcraft. Um, I get a chance to look at the history of different survival scenarios, what worked, what didn't, and keep that history alive by teaching the lessons that were learned from those historical events. Uh, you know, Mike is a big fan of the Shackleton expedition. So I get to look at things like that. I get to look at the Donner party. I get to look at examples of, you know, a whole bunch of professional athletes that crash in the Andes and have to eat themselves. <laughs> well, not themselves, but the dead passengers. So uh, I get to enjoy history. Uh, aside from survival and bushcraft life, I mean, my life is so intertwined with that. I mean, my friends are all people that I know through survival and bushcraft stuff or shooters. Um, it's funny, you know, when I started working for Fieldcraft, I had all these interests, but then I also had this other life that I lived. I, I was a history teacher on one hand and I was this outdoor survival guy, shooter, whatever. And 
I don't have that history teacher thing anymore. So now I have this one personality, but private life, I don't really talk too much about my private life. I'll tell you that I am not available. Um, I'll tell you that I'm a very, very happy man. Uh, thanks to a very, very special lady. And, uh, I will tell you that outside of the survival and bushcraft life, I love cooking crazy, crazy cooking. I'd rather cook for someone else than myself. Um, very active reader, do a lot of reading and other things. I mean, God, I mean, I, I watch way too much. Like I, I'll binge TV shows. So like I finished up Yellowstone recently, love that show. Um, and you know, I'm into being athletic. You know, I think one of the important things, again, intertwining survival, one of the important things about being a survival instructor, especially for field craft, is that I have to be capable to drag people off a hill. If I need to drag them off a hill, I need to be able to, to take care of not just me, but someone else. So fitness is a big part of my life. So I don't know if that answers that. Um, I do a lot of things outside the bushcraft and survival life, but so much of what I do is intertwined with bushcraft and survival where there really is no life outside of it because it is who I am. All right, guys, that was 32 questions. Um, coffee and survival questions, coffee and questions, volume four. Please keep these questions coming. I love doing this. I love drinking coffee. I will do this until I'm blue in the face. So, uh, Guys, if you have any questions, you can send them to me on my Instagram in a DM and be like, hey, can you do this on the next Coffee and Questions? You can respond to the Coffee and Questions prompt. You can email them me. Yeah, I can't even talk. Holy crap, more coffee, hold on. All right, you can email me at Estella, E-S-T-E-L-A, at fieldcraftsurvival.com and I'll answer your questions. All right, guys. Hopefully this was enlightening. Hopefully I didn't offend too many people. If I did, good. Um, Toughen up. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening.